Welcome to Authors Are Rockstars, a podcast dedicated to YA lit and rockin' music. I'm Allison, and I am flying solo today because Michelle is on official maternity leave. That's right. She just had her baby, and oh my gosh, you guys, not to make you jealous, but I got to meet him, and he's so cute. I got to hold him, and he was nibbling my shoulder, and it was just the sweetest thing. So, everybody, please send your congrats to Michelle, and we'll miss her for a little while. But I have the pleasure of introducing our interview with Beth Revis, who has been on the show before. We love her. And she came on the show again to discuss the finale to her fabulous Across the Universe series. We were so excited to get to chat with her over Skype. But before we get to the interview, I'm going to give you guys a really quick book pick of the month. I just finished listening to The Star of Kazan by Ava Ibbotson, which is actually an older book, and I can't believe I missed it when it came out. But I'm so glad I picked it up on audio because it was just wonderful. Set in old Vienna around the turn of the last century, it's full of mystery and adventure, and it's just just really, really good, you guys. It's narrated by Patricia Connolly, and she has the most comforting voice, and I could have just listened to it forever. So if you're in the mood for something lovely, I recommend it. Now let's get to our interview. We are so excited to chat once again with the fabulous Beth Revis, New York Times best-selling author of the Across the Universe series, which we love. Mm-hmm. Beth, would you mind <laughs> kicking you. off? <laughs> Beth, would you mind kicking off the podcast by letting our listeners know a little bit about your series in case they've somehow missed it? Yeah, definitely. The first book is Across the Universe, and the short description of that is that it's a murder mystery in space. I have a girl who's cryogenically frozen and who is then woken up early, and a boy who is born on a generation of spaceship, and they both have to solve the mystery of who is killing off the other frozen people before they reach the girl's parents. Then in the second book, you find out that the, and I don't know how to say too much without giving it away, you find out that there's a bad guy on the ship, and he's left a very convoluted puzzle mystery for the two characters to solve, and in the conclusion, which is Shades of Earth, it's available. January 15th, you find out the solution to all the mysteries. (laughs) A lot of stuff happens. It is so exciting, Beth. I was seriously like reading that last book. Well, all of them really, but especially the last one, just going, no, no, no. And Allison's ready to nag, but my husband did the exact same thing. Who, my husband is like a quiet guy, doesn't say much, and he was like, oh my gosh, Shell, oh my gosh. <laughs> now what are they going to do? <laughs> awesome. So, Beth, in our last podcast, we discussed whether or not there would be Daleks in book three of this wonderful series, and listeners, we are happy to report, <laughs> there will not be any spoilers revealed in this podcast. No. Ha ha ha. If you want to know if there are Daleks on the planet, or if the doctor will swoop in and save the day, you'll just have to read Shades of Earth coming coming soon soon. So in all serious now, what was the hardest thing about wrapping up this series other than, you know, dealing with the doctor? All of it was hard. (laughs) It really was. When I had written Across the Universe, I 100% intended that to be a standalone novel and not have any sequels. And then my agent suggested that I turn it into a trilogy and I came up with the idea for the plot for the second book. But the third book, I had to wrap up all these ideas. And there were a lot of things that I had put in the first and second book that I didn't think I would have to ever actually answer. <laughs> and so by the time the third book came around, I was like, oh, wait, I have to answer all these mysteries. So it was really actually very difficult. People think I have a plan, and I do not, and that makes it hard. <laughs> you definitely came off as if you had intricately planned it from, like, day one, so... 
Oh my God, no. <laughs> Genius. Genius. You totally won. So did you do anything to celebrate when you finished writing Shades of Earth after this tremendous ordeal you had gone through? You know how women who have children say that they sort of block out the pain of it? I can't think for me. I don't even remember writing the last word. I just remember I'm coming around August laying back and going, oh, I don't have to write anymore. Oh, good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but it's really, really hard. <laughs> Well, I feel bad for taunting the listeners with the doctor reveal and then holding back all the details for this awesome finale. Is there anything you can tease our listeners with? And with that, listener Mackenzie Lee would like to know, how have you not worked the Daleks into your books? Seriously, Beth. I mean, honestly, the Daleks just have to be there. <laughs> exactly. I was telling before we started the interview today, listeners, I was telling Beth how I am wearing my Dalek Vote No for Daleks Stop Extermination Today shirt in her honor because, let's face it, Daleks are awesome. <laughs> I, I feel very, very special. I'm touched. <laughs> <laughs> It's all for you, Beth. <laughs> so yeah, even though you can't really give anything away, do you have a teaser for this last book that you're you're tantalizing the audience with at all? Um, yeah, actually, I, I am. In the first book, my favorite chapter was the chapter that was only one sentence long. If you read the first book, I think you'll be able to really pinpoint exactly what I'm talking about there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, in the second book, my favorite page is the page that only has one word on it. And in the third and final book, my favorite page is the page that is entirely blank. Ooh. Yeah. It's a lot easier to write a book with your own blank pages. Yeah, I like that technique. <laughs> yeah, that works really well. Like, yeah, I did that chapter. What? That was all me. Two seconds. <laughs> Done. So, well, one of the things I love about this trilogy is its consistency. I mean, the first book was awesome. The second book was just as strong, if not better. And the third was just, like, totally blew us away, as we said. I mean, all these brilliant twists and turns and plot points, like you discussed having to incorporate from the first book that became important in the third book, No Loose Ends. I mean, seriously, you talked about how hard it was, but seriously, how did you do it? Did you have to outline extensively, or what happened? Oh, I I do not outline at all, and... Probably my life would be a lot easier if I did. Um, it really did come to, I believe, having a lot of very key specific details when I'm writing. So when I wrote Across the Universe, even though I'm in it to be a standalone, I had some things like uh, Victoria's leather-bound book, which is only mentioned like three or four times, but I always kind of had a plan for that. I mean, it didn't actually end up panning out the way I thought it would, but I had little details like that throughout the book. And so when it came time to write the sequel, I had to work with the details I had already layered in, which in some ways is good because I had things I could go back to, but in some ways it's bad because I had no freaking clue what to do without you. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a very big clue in A Million Sons, which is the, the puzzle mystery. And Elder and Amy find a clue and then they don't really do anything with it. They find something else that really distracts them. I don't think it's giving away too much to say that they find a lot of clues in books. And in one of the books, they only read it and they don't really look further into it. And that had originally just been because I only wanted to highlight that one sentence of the book in the second book. And then for the Shades of Earth, when I was coming up with a mystery for that, I realized that I had this clue that I could, could use. And that that's really where the part came from. And that, that was the sort of censure piece for the whole mystery in Shades of Earth. So cool. And, you know, listeners, it pays to read. Read those books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
comes back to bite me sometimes because in the second book in my original draft, I had given this detail about the door that led to the bridge of the ship and there was all these de- I mean, I have like a page worth of detail on this thing and over the course of editing it, I completely deleted that page and I actually had a whole draft of Shades of Earth that used the details that I had accidentally already deleted. Oh no! <laughs> I could have that. <laughs> wow! Well, I touched the when I realized it wasn't in the final book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned that this was, you know, a painful birth type experience. One of your fans, <laughs> Leah, would like to know if you'd ever consider revisiting this world again. Have you blocked out the pain enough that you could come back someday? Well, I do have a short story coming out in that world. And actually, I have several short stories, um, both in anthologies and one that's coming out on Monday that's going to be free for all readers on my blog. So I, I have some short stories. I don't know if there's going to be whole-length novels again in that world, but definitely short stories. Oh, very exciting. Allison mentioned that your books aren't just awesome space opera mystery filled goodness, but you also handle some pretty meaty issues like, you know, is love a love without a choice from the second book and the morality questions in book three, which I will refrain from being specific on to avoid spoilers. One of our listeners, Tim, said, the more I listen to the History of Philosophy podcast, the more I realize that the mention of the Republic and the Across the Universe series is more than just a passing thing and that I'll have to reread it to see if I recognize more platonic interest influences. Have you studied philosophy or do you have a degree in philosophy and was the Republic the seed for this story or more of just an ingredient in the idea stew as it were? It's it's definitely an ingredient. I've always had an interest in philosophy. It was actually not until I became an English teacher that I really studied it. I was teaching world literature and I wanted to bring in Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and I realized that I was not taught that in high school and I wasn't even taught that in college. So I studied it a lot. I didn't always like what I Found, but I learned a lot from it, and I was able to bring much of that in there, particularly Plato, who I've, I've loved since. I mean, Plato came up with the whole idea of the cave that's bigger on the inside, which everybody who loves Doctor Who will know influence there. Yes. I love yes. how you tie it all together. <laughs> it always yeah, goes back I to know. Doctor Who. Always <laughs> to Doctor Who. always goes back to Who. Oh, that's <laughs> magical. Well, okay, so that was a pretty <laughs> academic question. So I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you kind of like, I'm going in the other direction here. You wrote okay. an awesome blog entry advising authors to have some perspective on negative book reviews, which is always a really good thing to talk about. But I love the fact that you cited the fact that there are people in this world who hate puppies, Harry Potter, chocolate, and bacon. <laughs> yes. So in other words, everyone's different. So it's confession time, Beth. Do you have anything that you really hate or dislike, we'll use the word dislike, that, you know, is universally loved? Or do you love something that everyone else seems to hate? I hate, and, and I will not use the universal, I like this kind of word of like, unlike. <laughs> okay, let's be real. <laughs> I hate with a burning passion of my soul, mayonnaise. Oh. I cannot stand it. Just even you, even thinking about it, I feel all creeped out. And I want to go take a shower. It's disgusting. <laughs> that is hilarious and awesome. <laughs> so now we know. I also um, eye contacts. I cannot talk to you. Oh. Like, no. Yes. I wear glasses. And I will always wear glasses because I have this phobia of sticking things in my eyes. And I don't understand people who do that every morning. Yeah, that's, it's a really hard thing. I wear contacts and it was like, I was a small child trying to learn how to stick myself in the eye. And there was this little 12 year old girl at the optometrist, like watching me try to poke myself in the eye. She's like, mom, <laughs> why is that lady having such a hard time? I'm like, shut up, little girl. <laughs> it was really hard. So I totally empathize with that. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're just right off. Agreed. So, Nicole says, I know that in the past you had to write many manuscripts before you wrote Across the Universe, but are there Mm -hmm. any that stand out to you? Meaning, would you ever want to go back to that story again and revise it or rewrite it? There's one. Of all the ten, there's only one that I think has any merit still in it. And it's a fantasy, and I've tried to rewrite it a couple of times, but I'm still so tied to what I had before, and I can see exactly what all the flaws are. I just can't get over it yet. But there is one that I hope to one day be able to shape into something worthwhile. Mm, We'll look forward to that. Well, actually, so piggybacking on that question, what are you working on now? Like, do you have any hints for us? I I do have something that I'm working on, and I'm really, really excited about it because it's only been finalized recently. But the downside to that is that I cannot tell you too much about it. I can tell you that it came from an early love of Philip K. Dick and his work. So that's something I'm working on right now. Mm, Very good. (laughs) I like it. We have another listener question for you. This one comes from Allison K., who, as an Allison, I'm going to say fabulous name. She Uh asks, since your Across the Universe series is coming to a close, are you going to be writing more sci-fi? Are you going in a different direction? I mean, we're talking about this a little bit, so. Well, I can say that I will probably never write contemporary. I, I love contemporary. Stephanie Perkins' novels are some of my favorite, and I love Gail Foreman. But I probably will never, ever write a contemporary just because I like to blow shit up a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, to be honest. So I can, I can guarantee that anything I write, including the things that I'm working on now, will have situations where the characters can blow things up. And will probably either be science fiction or fantasy-based. Very good. You've contributed to a few short story anthologies. And in fact, you were mentioning you have some short story coming out. So tell us about what's the difference for you between writing short stories and novels. Which do you like better? I like novels a lot better. As hard as it was to write Shades of Earth, it was just as hard to write every short story I've ever written. Mm. uh, They're they're so complicated because you have to sit so much in so short a space. I struggle with that all the time. As a matter of fact, uh, the short story that I have coming out on Monday is actually more of a novella. It's like 55 pages long. It's huge. <laughs> we like long short stories. It's a short ish. Well, Diana would like to know has there ever been a time where you wish you could change something in your books or stories, but because you didn't like it, but then was told to leave it alone by your editor or because it was awesome? Yeah, somebody else? Not, not specifically that scenario. I do wish that I could go back in time and save that description of the doors that I could have used in the third book. But that was me. I mean, that was totally my fault. The editor didn't say I had to. I was trying to cut for space, and then I realized I should have done that. I did have one situation where I disagreed with my editor, but I won that argument because I'm very stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> When you read Shades of Earth and you find out who lives and who dies, the last few chapters is where my editor and I had a disagreement. Ooh. And I don't want to ruin anything, but one of us wanted a happy ending and one of us didn't want a happy ending. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I guess you'll have to read the book to figure out which one. I mean, I won, so you'll you'll see that argument and which side we were on. Got it. Yeah, okay. I, I, I can't say anything without revealing it to them, too. So I'm like... I know it's so hard to talk about it without spoiling it. <laughs> but that was definitely the, the biggest conflict my editor and I ever had. We went back and forth on that a dozen times at least. Oh, how interesting. Well, we both loved the ending, so we're going to we're on Team Beth. Like, we're whatever that <laughs> argument was, like, no offense to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> so, listener Leah asks, as a reader, do you prefer to read digital or paper copies of books? 
I think a lot of people say that the argument between paper books and ebooks is an either or kind of argument, but I'm really an and kind of girl. If there's a book by an author friend or one that I know I'm going to want to reread a hundred times, I will get the paper copy. And if it's a book I want right this flipping second, I'll get the ebook. I love them both. I agree. That's kind of the way I approach it as well, you yeah. know? Or if I'm traveling, mm-hmm. that way, if I want to take a library with me, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. I, yes. I can't travel with just one book, and it's so convenient to be able to just bring a Kindle. Why discriminate? <laughs> <laughs> Well, John M. tells us that we must ask you about your obsession with purple Sharpies. Is this something that developed before your rise to stardom, or did it happen after you were signing books? Do you have a particular shade of purple that you prefer? Details. This is so, so dramatic. Well, actually, I really like all 50 shades of purple. <laughs> Wait, is that your next book? <laughs> kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I just really like to make my name really big because, like, my friend Jessica Spotswood, when she signs a book, it's so perfect. She has perfect handwriting. and it's Yes, she does. She does, <laughs> listeners. I, if I slap my name all over across that page, I will take that whole page up and maybe the next page, too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, so did you have that kind of signature originally or did you have to perfect it? Because my signature is lame, and if I ever had to sign anything, I would have to, like, make a signature signature. You know, I'd have to practice it. So how, how was it for you? Um, it actually came about <laughs> mostly because when I was a teacher, I had to write a lot of detention forms. Mm. So I learned how to write my signature really big and in a way that the kids could not copy so they could write me out of detention. Oh, brilliant. I love it. Yes. Very nice. <laughs> that is so funny. Okay, so our last question for you today, Beth, is actually you mentioned your friend Jessica Spotswood, who is a fabulous uh-huh. author. We hear you had a wonderful writer's retreat with Andrea Kramer, Marie Lou, and Jessica. So did yes. this all come about because you met on the Breathless Reads Tour? or like how did that come about and what was it like writing with all these fabulous ladies did you guys just go crazy or <laughs> it was it was so fantastic um we did actually i had met andrea before and i'd actually met jessica before at a different writer's retreat so i had met them but we didn't really become good friends until before and book tours are a bonding experience kind of similar to war and you come out of it like a veteran and these are your veteran buddies for life <laughs> <laughs> And this tour, I love the tour, and we are going on another one in February, so if you're anywhere in the United States, and parts of Canada, you should pay attention to uh, the Breathless Reads Facebook page, because we're doing another tour in February. Um, It's definitely an exhausting experience, and we definitely bonded over that, and we went to Andrea's home, and uh, her parents' home in Minnesota, and it was beautiful and gorgeous, and we did share some of our work. We all got to read each other's sexiest scenes. (laughs) (laughs) That was totally fun. We all gathered and pulled up our sexy scenes on the here, and we just like hopped from computer to computer to computer, reading everyone's hottest scenes. It was great. That is hilarious. I love it. That's so awesome. And yeah, if you guys have a chance, listeners, you need to meet these ladies in person. They are all so wonderful. We They're love you guys. Fabulous individually, and like even more fun together. So you ladies rock. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Beth, for joining us again on the podcast. And we look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. Well, as you can tell, we had the best time interviewing Beth. And if you still haven't read Shades of Earth, you've got to get on it, listeners. Such a great finale to such a great series. So thank you again, Beth, for coming on the show. And thank you also to her wonderful publisher, Penguin. We love you guys. All right, listeners, thanks for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Authors Are Rockstars.